Welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice through biblical lens. I'm your host, Matthew Thompson. I'm Tanner Higgins. And I'm Mason Simmons. And we've been spending way too long just Tom fooling around <laughs> at this at the round table, just making awkward glances at each other of, oh, are, are we going to start? Are we going to start? Are you going to start? Are, am I going to start? Are you going to start? Well, we're starting. We're here. We're back. And unlike a few weeks ago, we are not freezing in a dining hall that has a ton of ambient noise. So, But the thing is, though, it actually feels good up here this time. Yeah. They the, fixed the, the air conditioning. Yeah. yeah. It's not hot like it was the last time we were up in the, what would you call this, upstairs the upper room. The, ooh, no. <laughs> no, no. But we're we're comfortable, so that means that our, our brains aren't cooking in their their brain fluids, and we might still be coherent by the end of this episode. So it won't be a slow descent into madness like every other one. Plus, do I have my second cup of coffee? You know, mm, sipping with the pinky out on my second cup of coffee. You know, I was noticing that the other day. I mean, I'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get into it here in a moment. We won't waste too much time here. But have you ever just noticed that your pinky just naturally goes out? My all pinky the time? naturally goes out. Someone made a comment about that at camp, I think. And I'm not trying to be fancy. I'm naturally am fancy. I'm just saying. Oh yeah, Tanner's naturally fancy. But but, this happens. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. It's just, I, I think it's a natural tendency. Is it like a balance thing? Maybe I, I think so because I noticed myself. Doing yeah, that yeah, like a counterweight thing. And when I put my pinky down, like it just it messed with with my grip. I mean, obviously I was still able to hold the cup, but I mean there was there was a noticeable difference. How do you drink your tea? Do you drink it with the pinky? I need to I set start mine on underneath the bottom it. of the cup. Like, okay. Like, I use my hand, like, almost like, like a cup holder. Like, I set it on top I've, of I've done that yeah. a time or two as yeah, well. That, yeah, I feel that. But I need to start paying attention to what other people do more often because, I mean, obviously, whenever I think of the, the pinky out thing, I think of the SpongeBob episode. When in doubt, pinky out. Like, that, that's just that's what I think of. So I always assumed it was just a silly thing that no one actually does. But then sometimes I'll just catch myself doing it and be like, wait, I do this all the time. Does everyone mm-hmm. else also do it? Or is this only the SpongeBob generation? <laughs> well, maybe this is something that we need to pass out monocles and top hats with. Yeah. And so whenever you're drinking coffee, tea, or grape juice, or sweet tea, or whatever, you need to have your pinky out, your monocle on, and your top hat on top. Fancy. fancy. Well, we're, we're going to talk about drinking fancy today. That, that's surprisingly relevant in this Ooh. episode. So there, there's your seamless segue into Scripture Day. Uh, dear listener, what we're actually talking about in this episode, since we haven't even remotely touched it yet, uh, we are back into our Book of John deep dive. Uh, after two episodes of what we did at camp with plenty of audio mishaps, I'm sure the listener, and definitely me when it comes to, to editing these things, I'm ready to have some stuff that's cleanly recorded. So this, this will be a... We're back to... Well, I would say like the the norm, the norm, but I mean the deep dive is pretty fresh in itself. But we're back on that. So chapter two is what we're going over. The today. norm of just f- having a better setup. Our round table. Yeah. Yes, the round table of three microphones and three. You know what I just realized? Men. We're not evenly proportioned. Like at this table, like there's no. three of us sitting at the table. It's more like me and Tanner sitting almost directly side with each other, and then Matthew's just over in the corner, you know, across from. Tanner, I would say, and then I'm just kind of like almost like Tanner. Well, you did also come into a, a, I don't want to say kind of late, but like a couple episodes in. Yeah, a couple episodes yeah. later. That and my mic, like it kind of just makes sense because my mic is a lot hotter than yours. Like, because well, I'm, I'm just loud. Because I mean, we all project, but if I want to project, I have to yell. And like, I don't have a medium volume. I, I'm either muttering or I'm breaking windows. And 
if I'm breaking windows in here, then I'm going to be picked up on your microphones, and then it's really not going to be fun. We get all that echo. That's what happened when we had the Yeti mics uh, before we switched over to these good ones. That that was an issue. Yeti. Sorry. So <laughs> There we go. So, end of the episode. First one. <laughs> all this technical audio knowledge no one cares about. Um, well, goodness. How, how are we even going to open this up? Because we have well, okay. notes here. I'll tell you what. So, we're in John chapter 2. And the first couple words says, and the third day, which in, in other translations, it would be the next day. And so, like, right after some disciples have been called to follow Christ. We diving straight into miracles, baby. Yeah, it's just like Jesus baptized, Jesus calls a couple disciples, and boom, ministry is on the way. Okay. So I think that uh, this is one of the interesting almost and I'm, I'm we're going to talk about it a little bit later but it kind of it's separate from some of the miracles that he do, does do do does okay well before we get into the John chapter 2 scripture I guess I guess this can be kind of a primer um, recently I was doing some research um, that was spurred by a Bible project video on the character of God in the Old Testament and there's a key piece of scripture in Exodus uh, it's in chapter 34, verses 6 and 7 is one of the most iconic description of God's character because it's, well, it's given by God himself. So, I mean, hey, take his word for it. So, I'm just going to read the scripture right quick and then we can get into it. It says, starting verse 6, oh, and by the way, we're reading out of the American Standard Version today. Don't want to let that information go untold. So, verse 6, and Jehovah passed by before him, him being Moses, and proclaimed, Jehovah, Jehovah, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth, keeping loving kindness for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity and the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children, upon the third and, f- upon, the third and upon the fourth generation. So, I mean, you could do a million sermons over those two verses because, I mean, we're talking about God's character here, so I won't. Uh, stay on for too long. But the reason that I want to give that, as I said before, is kind of a, a scriptural primer to getting into John chapter 2. That's God explaining some characteristics of himself. Who is Jesus? God in the flesh. So I propose that while we're reading through this John chapter 2 and throughout the rest of the book of John, and listener, feel free to go back uh, on John chapter 1 and do comparisons for yourself, uh, look at the consistencies. Because I mean, the Bible is a, is a perfect literary work that that leads to Jesus. So God's setting the stage saying these are some characteristics of me for you to keep in mind. Keep those in mind. And when you're watching, uh, when you're reading Jesus uh, performing miracles, uh, doing stuff in his ministry, existing, dying for our sins, like everything that Jesus does, you can tie it back to characteristics of God and it'll make sense. Because again, scriptural consistency, it's everywhere. The Bible loves to reference itself. Jesus loves to reference the Old Testament. So there you go. So throughout this reading, I would like us to take little moments here and there to be like, oh, there's, there's that characteristic of God that Jesus is showing because he's God in the flesh. So there is my intro. So that being said, and with uh, God's characteristics framed, let's get into the actual like scripture of John chapter 2. So Tanner, do you, what do you have for us in the beginning of that? Okay, so John chapter 2, I mean, it's the second book in John, and it's the first miracle of Jesus. And we were kind of discussing a little bit uh, before we started recording, and I think it's interesting that the first miracle that he does is like right after he's baptized and 
he calls some of his disciples to follow him. And so it's almost like, I think we've talked about it before in the past with the talking about John chapter 1 and, and baptism and stuff like that. And it's almost like the baptism of Christ is the anointing of his ministry as king upon earth. So it's it's like, okay, so Jesus is baptized, and so now his ministry is to start. And now here he is at a wedding feast in Cana. And... Uh, He's performing a miracle, which, in like I said before, we'll talk about it here in a second. But I kind of find it kind of interesting how that the call to him doing this miracle came from his mother. Yeah, that was a little detail that slipped from my memory when I was uh, reading over this, taking it verse by verse. I was like, oh, hey, his mm-hmm. his mom requests this of him. It's an interesting situation. And you get uh, another early look at sassy Jesus. He, he's got. I feel. I feel there's a little sarcastic wit in his voice. Uh, but I mean, we're referencing scripture that we haven't read yet. So let, let me just read the first three verses of chapter two to kind of uh, set this up. It says, and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus also was bidden and his disciples to the marriage. And when the wine failed, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. So there's the, the setup for, for the marriage, uh, the, or this wedding that's happening. So then verse 4 says, And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. So there you get that little bit of sarcastic wit I was referencing. Just want to make sure we have the, the scripture established before mm-hmm. we start like talking about it. So there you go. And also, too, I think it's interesting, too, that when, when I was in Israel, we actually hiked through Cana. And... It seems like everywhere you go where there's like kind of spiritual significance of a story in scripture, they have a church or churches that have uh, kind of their main focus around that miracle or that event. And so in Cana, there's a lot of churches and people go there all the time to renew their wedding vows. And and oh, wow. it's all like marriage-based type uh, huh. churches. So it's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. So Bethlehem, you've got churches based around like shepherding and stuff like that bread uh, was there any with bread oh, the mount of beatitudes uh the, the down the mount of beatitudes there is a church does anyone fly by on a plane and throw manna out the window <laughs> dude <laughs> give props to that guy. <laughs> freak all freak everybody out scriptural accuracy <laughs> no but yeah like I, I can't remember the name of the church though it's down the hill of Mount of Beatitudes. There's a church on top of the mount, and then there's a church down at the bottom where historically they say Jesus uh, fed the 5,000. Yeah, so, I'll yeah. remember when I go and come back, I'll say, yes, I do remember being there, but now since I have not, I don't remember. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, we did it on our little small presentation of, of Israel, but I, it, like I said, it's I can't, there's so many churches over there you can't yeah, keep straight. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but a question I would like to pose to you all uh, based on verse... Four, when Jesus says, "Mine hour is not yet come," just to get the discussion ball rolling. What, what does he mean by that when he says, "Mine hour is not yet come"? What What is Jesus' hour that he's referring to? So I see this statement that Jesus makes that you know, my hour has not come yet. He's obviously changing the world with with the teachings and and the things that he's doing while on earth, and then he forever changes history and the the strand of human humanity by the cross. So him at the very first beginning at this wedding feast, we know that a wedding feast, I mean, when, when I got married and you got married and Mason, hopefully when you get married, you know, one day, one day, uh, <laughs> when things happen, I mean, 
it was like a it was like a, a whole town event. You know, everyone came to this wedding, which we don't know who who got married, but like everyone came. And I don't know Jesus' association with a couple. I don't know if like it was like from surrounding uh, villages coming to this one they hear a wedding feast. Oh yeah, there's a good time, so we'll just go over there. You know, it's a friend of a friend or whatever. And so it was a big mass gathering for wedding feast. I mean, it was a a long process. I mean, when someone got married today, it's just like a two or three day thing. But then it's like a whole week. A party celebration for this couple and so with that being said everybody's there everybody so you've got Jews and you've maybe some you know uh, uh, Samaritan uh, re- uh, relations you know there'll be the ones in the back row that's like I'm not part of the family you have Pharisees and Sadducees there and so I kind of want to focus a little bit on the Pharisees and Sadducees part is because these are religious zealots that that took tradition to the max and took the law to the max. And I think that one reason why Jesus says my time hasn't come yet is I think he's like, Mom, I'm not trying to—I I want to stir the waters. Like, I, I want to be, as as Jesus says himself and Paul says and, and, and uh, other people say in Scripture that Jesus is a stumbling block. But with all these Pharisees and Sadducees uh, being possibly at the wedding feast and Jesus saying, my time hasn't come yet, I think Jesus is saying, now, Mom, I don't want to stir the waters yet. The stuff that I'm going to say is going to change the world. The stuff I'm going to say is going to mind blow the heck out of you. But yet that time has not come yet. There's a time and purpose, and I don't want to stir the waters too much right now because I've got three, three and a half years of ministry before it's all said and done. And so I, I, th- I think that Mary might be ju- – I think she kind of knows the purpose. You know, Michael came, and, and was it Gabriel? They told her when she was pregnant? Gabriel? An angel came to Mary and said, you know, you will bear a son, and his son will be Jesus, and he'll be the Savior of the world. And so she knows – she knows the significance and the importance of her son and what he's there to do. And so I think he, she's kind of like the, the, the typical mom that wants to see her son succeed and do the job. You know, and I think, you know, just like uh, any loving mother would be like, go ahead, son. You know, go ahead and, and, and do what, you, what you're meant to do. You know, you know, flex a little bit of your, your God deity powers, you know. And I think that's funny, too, because I think I'm trying to take this in a, in a spiritual application now is that like a lot of times we like we're like mary how it's like hey god flex for me you know it's like god do this for me you know hey this would be a good time for you to do something but then a lot of times god's like mm, not yet bro not yet just like jesus was like it's not my time mary or woman he calls her woman you know <laughs> come on mom mason do you have input regarding that I think that's really – I didn't think about it like that. You know, saying you know, how we put ourselves in that same situation is like, that's very true. And it's preached on all the time. But it's amazing how you don't piece things together like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, no, I was just thinking and, you know, I'm going along the same lines that you just said that, you know, he's he's got his ministry lined up. And, of course, him being God, knowing all time and knowledge and, you know, everything, uh, he knows it's not the time for him to start his ministry but yeah, you know, Mary kind of feels like, um, no, we, we kind of need you right now. We need this little favor. No one's going to care, you know. I mean, they'll, they'll care if you don't do it, but, I mean, it won't be that big of a deal, right? And that's I think that's a good – I like how you brought that up. And, you know, how we say we want God to do a lot of things for us. 
mm-hmm. and we'll put ourselves in Mary's situation. Well, also, I, I made a point in this, is that it's different. This is a different type of miracle because when we think about miracles, we think, oh, he's healing the blind, he's healing the lame, he's doing all these things. And most of his miracles is what? Healing of sickness. But this is like one of the only miracles, if I'm not mistaken, probably the only miracle that focuses around encouraging of the celebration of life. I mean, there's no healing going on. He turns water into wine here, which we'll, we'll talk about here shortly. It's like that, that's comparatively different than raising the dead, like Lazarus. Yeah, you know, this was more of a, got to be careful saying this, but like more of a selfish request or a miracle, and, and, and not a miracle mm. for himself, but for the people around him that he cared about. And, you know, and of course, you know, Jesus being human like us cared for the people around him. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think he wanted to, you know, disobey his mom or disappoint his mom because she was the one to request this. But, you know, at the same time, what benefit really happens, you know, from them getting wine out of this instead of just the barrels of water that they had? Yeah. Uh, not to be boring, but my view of what Jesus meant by that is the same as y'all's really. Like, it, it's not time for me to be pulling off, like, the, the steroid-infused miracles that you're about to see. Well, So I'm, I'm going to give you just a little taste. Um, no, I, I guess pun intended there. <laughs> yeah, pun intended. <laughs> um, of... Of what I can do, because there's a lot of subtlety to this miracle, which we'll get to as we go further uh, down in the chapter. Uh, it's, and I mean, Jesus is always the first one to say, like, "Hey, don't tell anyone that I did that I did this." That little reverse psychology mm-hmm. going on, but this this has a genuine differentness to it. I mean, throughout the New Testament, uh, Jesus he paints a picture of what his new kingdom is going to look like, and the color of miracle is a color that he very frequently paints with. This is a little different shade of miracle. There's a little bit of differentness to it. Uh, I mean, it's definitely still a miracle, but as you read it, it's just got a different feel to it, mm-hmm. like like y'all said. So I, I agree with that. Well, I also want to make note that what you said about in Exodus chapter 30, is that correct? Mm-hmm. That the character, 34, sorry. 34. Yeah. Well, the character of God, I think, is described by Jesus' character of, of miracles. Because uh, miracles and signs are almost interchangeable. And... John, when he writes, he says, you know, I write all these things. And he selected, when John was writing the book of John, uh, he says in the end, it's like, these things I write so that you may believe. So his focus is for the reader to believe. And so these certain signs slash miracle is focusing around a certain aspect or character of what Jesus is doing at this said time. And I think this is a focus upon, well, Jesus, he celebrates life. He he says, no, marriage, this is a good thing, and I'm going to, you know, be within it. And so I kind of want to go a little bit in depth into a little bit of Jewish history and Jewish law a little bit. So uh, I'm going to read a little bit on John chapter 2. Starting in verse 6, it says, Now there was six water pots of stone set there after the Jews' manner of purifying, containing two or three firkings apiece. Uh, Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And so, first here, you have some water pots. And these water pots are massive. Massive. Did you do the math on it? Because I have the math. I think it's like, well, 118 liters per pot or something like that. Well, in total, it would have been somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons. Gallons, okay. And how many was there, three? I'm sorry. Yes, three. Yeah, so more or less three 55-gallon drums. Mm. I mean, these, there's six. There's six, bro. Six. (laughs) Okay, so. (laughs) That's a lot. A little under 30-gallon 
pots that they have. Yep. That's that's, that's, a, a, that's a lot that's of water cool. holding. So these the significance behind this, I think we need to go back. I'm not going to read it, but yet you can look at in Leviticus 15, Leviticus chapter 15, verse 11, and Exodus chapter 30, 17 through 21. You see some certain commands given by God to the Jewish people of hand washing. Okay, and so this is what these pots were for. It was for a uh, spiritual purification hand washing. And so I want to list a few things. I say few because the, the list is almost exhaustive of occasions for hand washing used by the Pharisees and some of the old law stuff. So before and, eat, eat, before and after eating bread. Okay, well that makes sense. You're going to eat, so you might as well wash your hands before and after. Before worship, before priestly blessings, after sleeping. I understand that one, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's some kind of significance behind that one. After touching parts of your body that are normally covered, so touching your private parts, that makes sense. I'm going to wash my hands. Uh, after using the bathroom, leaving the cemetery, after cutting nails and your hair, wash your hands. And then uh, the last one I have on my notes is after having sex, wash your hands. And so a lot of – there's a lot, like a list of washing your hands. And it's almost – relevant to the t- time that we're living in right now it's like wash your hands you know in which it is scientifically proven the number one way to stop spread of diseases is what washing your hands you know when you said uh that one of their rules was to do it after you like uh cut fingernails or ha- hair i was sitting here thinking well yeah i can see logic in that because that's dead flesh but then i was like wait they don't know that yet I don't think science had made it that far at the time. <laughs> God knew that. God knew. But these, and, and I've I seen it in Israel. It's interesting. Like, you go into the bathrooms in Jerusalem, and there's these small water, silverish, uh, stainless steel water pots that are chained linked next to the sink. So you got the sink, and you've got these water pots. And so those water pots are specifically for spiritual hand washing over certain events. So when we were coming out of the Valley of the Kings in between uh, Mount of Olives and the Old City, uh, where uh, the kings are buried and the you've got it separated in cemetery, the cemetery, the large cemetery, the bathroom there had a little water pot. I was thinking, what's the significance of that? And then here we go. We're going all the way back here. So now instead of 130-gallon drum or whatever, you've got these little pots now. <laughs> but anyways, so this the Hebrew uh, name for this is actually uh, Natalat Yadahim, which in translation it means lifting up of hands. So this sense of, of hand washing that the Jews used was to purify and to symbolize, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to worship. I'm trying to cleanse myself. I'm getting ready to worship God. I'm trying to purify myself in, in this ritual hand washing. And so not really being in the text, but we can kind of say, like we said it before, that more than likely the Pharisees and the Sadducees were at this wedding. Okay. And so I think there's a reason that Jesus did what he did through the things that he said. So being at a wedding, why do you think that Jesus used these pots when there's probably other vessels specifically for wine and and drink and stuff like that? Why why did he specifically why do you think he specifically said these water pots over hey there's an empty wine skin over there that we used earlier? Why don't you go ahead and just fill that up? Well there was a subtlety to it, was there not? I mean with these water pots being used for like washing hands and whatnot, that goes with like servanthood that Jesus was big about. This this wasn't a show of power. I mean, like we said, this uh, miracle had a different shade of 
miracleness to it. And I mean, not to say that any of Jesus' other miracles were done to just like show off, obviously not, but this especially so, he's trying to keep it very low key, so to speak. Um, so him using these water pots, well, for one, it's gonna make people think. I mean, even though uh, within the scripture here, there's no one really saying, Jesus, why do you want me to do that? Jesus, why do you want me to do that? I think we actually skipped over uh, verse 5 where Jesus' mom says, uh, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. So she basically just addresses the relevant people. like, hey, if he says jump, ask how high. And they seemingly take that advice to heart. Like no one contests Jesus on the orders that he gives uh, through these short verses. Um, but yeah, like this coming from hand washing pots, that that servanthood to it, it, uh, it it makes it wrong. And I say that with air quotes. Like I feel like if a Pharisee or Sadducee like got a hold of the information that oh he's he he used what <laughs> exactly? Yeah, I think that's right. I think a lot of times the the response that people had to some of the Jesus' miracles and some things that Jesus said, sometimes that Jesus did, was to almost to a scandalous point. So throughout the Gospels, the authors describe Jesus as what the, the Greek word scandalon, which was where we get the word scandalous, which means a stumbling block or an offense. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 23 and 24, uh, it says, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. And so this fact of Jesus is a stumbling block, and unto the Gentiles it's foolishness, but unto them that are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So uh, Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians, he says it's a stumbling block to the Jews, and I think right here it's almost a stumbling block because he's using a ritual, a tradition uh, type thing of water pots and using it to fill it with wine or fill it with water and turn it into wine for a party feast. And it's almost like, why in the world did he do that? He's like, he's saying, well, some of these traditions that you're doing, it's it's not it's if if it's getting in the way of life and if it's getting in the way of celebration, then it's wrong. And I think he's saying to, and a lot of times when his teachings to the to the to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he tells them it's like the the censorious traditions you're allowing these traditions to get in the way of your actual worship of God Almighty. And sometimes these traditions, uh, it, it like it, it's it's limiting people to go to worship God. So it's like all these hindering? traditions trying trying to not hindering, but like there's so many laws that you have to abide by, and it's like you have to buy by all of them, mm-hmm. and it's almost impossible. And so it's like only the the self righteous. Well, he's he's liberating potential worshipers of yeah. like all these crazy laws that. Uh, the Pharisees are convinced like those laws are what make you holy, which I mean that's that's a whole discussion in of, of itself, like over Leviticus and how that gets blown out of proportion quite a bit. Uh, in terms of like its relevance uh, when it comes to Jesus fulfilling the law, like I'm I'm not out here saying Leviticus is irrelevant. I feel like if you put me in a room with a bunch of Bible nerds, I'm I'm probably one of the more Leviticus pro Leviticus people in the room. So here we have Jesus. He's in First Corinthians, he's a stumbling block. So Jesus is either a stone that crushes you, or a stone of a foundation that lifts you up. And I think here Jesus is kind of saying is using this these spiritual, traditional, water pots of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he's he's making a stone to crush some of their traditions. That's that's separating 
people from God. Okay, so if we're going to continue talking about the miracle, I suppose it's worth reading the rest of the miracle. So, Mason, if you wouldn't mind finishing out this little clump of scripture, go for it. Yeah, so we finished off in 7, so we'll start in verse 8, and it says, And he said unto them, Draw out now, and bear it unto the ruler of the feast, and they bear it. And so this is after they have filled up the pots to the brim. And then verse 9, And when the ruler of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants that had drawn the water knew. And the ruler of the feast called the bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man settleth on first the good wine. And when men have drunk freely, freely, then that which is worse, thou hast kept the good wine until now. This being of his signs did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifest his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Okay, so two two details that I'd like to point out there. Well, I say two, but I only have one sitting in my mind because my mind just kind of went off the rails because my life is fun. <laughs> but anyway, point number one, hopefully we'll get to point number two. There was a borderline plot twist in that that I love because I mean, Jesus' mom is like, "Hey, uh, the, they're out of wine. You wanna you wanna help them out?" And Jesus is like, more or less, just oh, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you get that little sarcastic wit uh, from Jesus there. So, what does he do? He te- he tells servants to pour out pour, pour water, pour water, not wine. Pour pour a bunch of water, a lot of water, as we've already established. These gigantic vessels uh, that they're pouring this water into. And then, like, the scripture just continues. And then it's like, oh, someone took some of the liquid out of there, and, oh, oh, it's wine now. It's wine now. There wasn't a verse that was just like, and then he turned the water into wine. There's just a lot of subtlety to this that I love. Um, because, honestly, like, it's so easy to just kind of read over the storytelling that's taking place here. Because, I mean, obviously, like, G- Jesus is turning water into wine. This is not the—well, this is the first— but this is not the last time that he will do that. That's that's a common occurrence when you're around Jesus. Water gets turned into wine. Uh, but there's no, like, fireworks display. Like, you do have to pay attention. There is subtlety to it. Mm-hmm. So that, that's point number one. Point number two will come at some point. I forgot it. So we'll, well get back to I, I have two points. So if you can't remember your second one, I'll bring up second one. But I do want to spend some more time on this. Because I always thought that, you know, because this was a big celebration, that it was done in front of people. You know, instead of diving deep into it. But, you know, studying and reading as we're going along through this, you know, this is done more or less behind closed doors. You know, nobody knows about this because if we read it again in verse 9, uh, towards the middle end of it, it says, But the servants that had drawn the water knew. And this is talking about when the ruler pulled wine out of the out of the bowl or whatever, that it was wine. But the people who, the servants who poured the water knew they poured water into it. You know, they were the ones that done it. So they knew only water went into those things, but when they took it out, it was somehow wine. So, but they were the only ones that knew that. And it says, you know, because they were the ones that drew the water. So, one, this blows my mind because, of course, one, how do you turn just normal water into wine? That's step it. one, be Jesus. Yeah, step one, be Jesus. <laughs> step, step two, don't not be Jesus. <laughs> yeah, step two, just accept it how it is. Okay, that's how I've learned to take a lot of this. But no, like... Seriously, though, they were they were honestly the only ones who knew. Mm-hmm. Jesus, Mary, his mother, and then the servants were the only ones who knew. You know, that changed everything completely for me because, you know, growing up you hear the story, but how many times do you actually dive into it? And that's why I love, you know, how we're doing this. But behind closed doors, they were the only ones who knew. I'll bring up point two after Tanner does his spill because I know he's got some. Well, I, I, also with the, the small detail of the, the – was it the master – 
Oh, sorry, hold on. Mm-hmm. I think I saw the small uh, detail of the ruler or the feast. The ruler of the feast, you know, he says, you know, why did you save the best for last when the... That f- was my point, too. Okay. That was my point, too. <laughs> there we go. Okay. We're so, on the same page. <laughs> well, so, so I like that that small detail because it's like, you know, he says that, you know, we should always drink the best wine first and save the, the cheap stuff for later. But now you've you served the cheap stuff first and now the best for last. I see this, I don't know about you guys, but I see this as a foreshadowing. Or not a foreshadowing, but yet it, it's a it's a picture of Jesus. Well, Jesus always does things well. Okay, so here's what I'm getting at. I don't know if this is just me, and I don't know if I'm just reading, reading into it too much, but I see that within the context of Scripture, as the Old Testament, as this first wine that's running out, okay? I can see that, you know, here we have, you know, good stuff that's coming. You have prophets, you have the Word of God, you have the law, you have Moses, and you have all these things, and it's good stuff, you know, and people drink it, and, and you know, and people take part of it. But then, when Jesus shows up on scene, it's the best. It's the last wine that's to serve, and it's the one that's like I'm going out with a bang, or uh, the party's going out with a bang. And so, when Jesus shows up and says, "Okay, I'm serving up the best. I'm the best. I am the Son of God. I am all that I am, because I am God Himself." And so, I think this is kind of almost like a picturesque view of like. God having a relationship with his people because what happens after you know I correct me if I'm wrong but I mean this is before they actually get married you know but they feast all day long but yet Christ giving the best for last and giving the best that he can out of that wedding feast for the wine I think he's he's showing the people and like I said I'm maybe reading into it that I'm here I'm the best more than this wine that you have been serving I'm finally here. It's like the discussion we had with Adam Clagg and Adam Hallway. Um, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And that that rings true in everything that Jesus does. I mean, that that's his purpose mm-hmm. is establishing this this new kingdom and explain to everybody, hey, th- this is this is the new way. It's the best way. Mm-hmm. It is it is the better way. That's why I came here to give you this better way to make it simpler, not easier, simpler. A better way, and I think another view for the the pots is I think Brooksy Cavey in his uh, in one of his books he makes a analogy is like a picture of a thirsty person holding a cup of water, and I picture that person licking the outside of that cup in attempt to quench his thirst. The Pharisees or the religious people in that wedding and during Jesus' time, they're a lot of times focusing on the cup. And making that cup look pretty, instead, and licking the outside of the cup instead of focusing on the contents inside. And so I think Jesus, right here, he's saying, you know, it's not the it's not the the cups, it's not these huge massive jars uh, that matter, but it's the contents inside. And I can, and, and you see this all the time that Jesus says, "I'm the the life giver." You know, he says, I, "I give life. I give. I'm the bread of life. I'm you know the water that sustains life, eternal life." But in the next chapter, in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have what everlasting life. So He's on the side of life, and so, and 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 I think here is the first jeer towards fundamentalism, almost mm, mm, saying. And, and saying, you know, this this legalism that you have of worshiping traditions and, and worshiping all these things instead of God Himself is almost 
it's going to be null and void. It's like you need to be focusing on me. Oh, he's has hands. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hey, we, we're having camp meeting right now. Amen. This is the most I've ever seen Matthew excited. But I mean, it, but I think that he's. This also speaks to us too, because I think we we a lot of times allow, you know, things in church tradition or fundamentalist or legalism or all these fancy words or whatever. When we look at the way we do it versus why we do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. We get caught up too caught up in what or how instead of why. Yeah. And we're so good at focusing on everything except what is important. Mm-hmm. It's like it's funny because we just established that Jesus he came to earth to establish this this new covenant, this new testament uh, because it is the simpler way. He just wanted to, he was really uh, what's the term? Um I mean, he was really throwing us a bone. Like, he, he was stooping down to our level, like, intellectually in that regard. He's like, okay, I, I get it. 613 laws is a lot. I, and for some strange reason, y'all made more out of that. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take it to two, and we're going to see how you do with that. <laughs> so just just two commandments now. The two commandments. Can, can you do that? I've made it really simple. All you have to do is believe in me. That, that's all you have to do. Super simple, right, guys? And here we just we idolize rituals and we idolize laws. Yeah. And even though it's easy to look at the Pharisees and go, well, obviously they were worshiping laws. We we worship laws of our own all the stinking time. I mean, look look at your your church's official treatise. How many people look at certain areas of that book and just worship that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just one example. Well, I mean, the, the laws were meant for what? For God to be with his people. And, you know, and so many times you see the people fail. And even when Jesus gave those two laws of love the Lord God with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the strength, and then love thy neighbor as thyself. And then you get the context of, like, James and John's like, hey, can you blow up? Can we call thunder down upon this city? <laughs> oh, guys, you didn't get the picture. Yeah. So, I mean, I, even even now it's like these the that Jesus tells us to love. And like with Jesus speaking, this new Jesus movement within the first century, you see that he, he speaks nothing of like, okay, you've got to follow all these traditions. You're going to follow all these things. No, he says, by faith, are you saved through faith? Tanner's on a <laughs> roll. Man, by grace, are you saved through faith? Which Paul says that. But yet Jesus, his main goal is to be like, focus on me, guys. Focus on me. Focus on on, 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 on me saving you. Have faith in me. Have faith in God instead of all these traditions. And Because faith won't say – great. My word. What is wrong with me? I am having <laughs> a stroke. Yeah. I worked last night and I worked tonight. But – he he's, he continually says, you know, have have faith, believe, trust, and this 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 motif of grace, this motif of 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 trusting and believing, it, it, it permeates through Jesus' teaching. John chapter fourteen verse six: I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. And then Paul he backs up with this kind of the same statement, but yet in other terms, by grace are you saved through faith. So constantly, he's telling people to trust and to believe in him so one last detail about this uh, miracle that I was kind of thinking to myself and 
Well, let me just put the question out there, and we'll go from there. This was the first miracle that we have, according to Scripture. This isn't just the first miracle, according to the the book of John. Recorded. This th- this is his first miracle, because it does make that clear uh, within the Scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I've I've learned a good little bit about this this first miracle. Because personally, when I think of miracles that Jesus performs, like honestly, this one doesn't come to mind. I mean, this is such a subtle one that even uh, hindsight coming back to scripture and reading it, it's so easy to let this one kind of slip through my, my mind's uh, cracks. Uh, but there's so much value within it, and we can, I mean, we, we dove in deep and found out some new stuff. Uh, I learned, at least. I, I'm sure y'all, being nice and omniscient, already knew all this stuff. <laughs> there's only one omniscient, brother. Hey, man. It ain't me. Right. But uh, next week, <laughs> we'll get in on the second half of John chapter 2, where some really spicy stuff goes down. We get to see righteous anger. But that Gosh. is that, that, that is a, a wonderful story for next week. So until then, it's it's been lovely talking. It, it's been lovely being back with our first recording session after camp. That's it's good to be back. So even though I'm having a stroke, so yeah, yeah. That Tanner's little verbal <laughs> face plant there. It, it'll be all right. But we'll Make see. Sure. We'll see you next week. And Tanner, you can give us the the magical two words to get us out. I was also, I was going to say something real quick. <laughs> well, shoot. <laughs> you had the long pause, so you. <laughs> I, I was just gonna, you know, plug the social media and the and the, and oh, the stuff. Shoot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've been having some good discussion on social media stuff, Facebook uh, group. Yeah, don't forget to uh, you know contact us if you want to look at our email uh, podcast.crosstraining at gmail.com. Facebook group has been uh, quite productive. We've been having good conversations and uh, discussions about certain said things. So uh, come join us on the Facebook group. That'd be awesome. So now that our, our plugs in, are in place, we can now be let out with two wonderful words that you, you should be used to hearing from Tanner. Peace out. <laughs>